Romans chapter 5, we're going verse by verse. We're hovering in chapter 5. I want to go back there. There's, there's some more we want to extract. But the title of the message is, God will work it out for the good. Can I hear an amen to that? It's true. It's the hope that will not disappoint. Romans chapter 5 and We'll begin here in Romans 5 in just a little bit. Actually, we're going to be in Romans 5, Romans 8, Hebrews 11, and Genesis chapter 37. And we'll be here till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. No, dumb joke. So I've told this story before. This is a true story. 1859, the great acrobat Blondine stretches a cord across Niagara Falls. He tight ropes across Niagara. Of course, if he falls, he's dead, right? But he's successful. Tens of thousands are watching this and they're cheering him. Then he takes a wheelbarrow full of cement and he tight ropes across Niagara. He's successful. He gets to the other side and he says, how many of you believe the great Blondine could put a man in this wheelbarrow and make his way across Niagara tight roping? How many of you believe? Oh, the crowd's going crazy. There's this one guy who said, I believe it, Blondine. I believe it. You're, you're amazing. You're incredible. I believe, I believe, I believe. Blondine turned to that very guy and said, then you get in the wheelbarrow. The guy was like, oh my goodness, I'm not so sure I believe, right? But I just want you to imagine the Lord standing before us and he says, okay, you guys, I, I wrote myself in the script of life, the uncreated one who's always been the eternal one came down in human form, gave my life on the cross, resurrected, was ascended to heaven. I'm coming again. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? And we would all say, can I hear a big amen to that? Yes. And here's what the Lord might say based upon scripture. He says, okay, here's what you do though. I want you to persevere in that belief because it's a hope that will not disappoint. I mean, this is what he's saying here in Romans chapter five, pick it up here in verse three. And we've been studying and he says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Look at verse 5. Now, hope does not, what's that next word, you guys? Does not disappoint. In other words, once you're a child of God, you're in a process. You keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep persevering. This hope that you have in Christ does not disappoint. Paul, I am convinced, builds this out later in Romans 8, and we're going to be studying it in the months to come. But just turn over real quick to Romans chapter 8. We know this verse, verse 28, when he says, and we know, we know, convinced of it, all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he predestined, predestined, have pre-planned in Christ to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. Oh, there's a lot there. You guys, you guys turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 at this time. And the reason I'm having you turn there is because the Hebrew writer is writing to an audience that is discouraged. It's not that they want to turn away from Jesus, but there's a temptation to just back off from persevering, hanging in there, keeping moving forward. And what the Hebrew writer does, and we've studied this passage before, is that he brings in the hall of faith. All these great men and women who knew the Lord, walked with them, and the Lord blessed in a great way 
to encourage actually the audience that he's writing to. And one of the individuals, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22, that he brings into focus to encourage them, this cloud of witnesses, you know, that he wants them to be inspired by, is none other than Joseph. How many of you know the story of Joseph out of curiosity? Could you raise your hand? Okay, well, Joseph, here, this is very important. Joseph actually embodies the promise, all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I mean, I mean it's like it raises a bunch of questions like, well, really? Well, like, what, is, what does it look like to love God? What does it look like to experience that which is good? What does it look like to be according to God's purposes? What are God's purposes? Like when you study the life of Joseph, right? And he, he mentions Joseph. Look there in verse 22. He says, by faith... Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Like if you're new to the Bible, you read that, you're like, what are you talking about, man? Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about this a little bit. But it's like, if you want to know God's purposes, like what is God's purposes? In case of, in case of Joseph's case, I should say, you want to follow his bones. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. But here's the thing. Joseph, look, this is very important. Joseph embodied what it is to love God. Joseph's life embodied what it means to be called according to his purpose. Uh, Joseph's life embodied what it means that God is working it out for the good. See, like when he was in Israel, like the land of Israel, and this is kind of the story of Joseph in a nutshell. We're going to study it in just a little bit. But Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. They were jealous. We'll talk about it. Thrown into a pit. It's actually a cistern. It was, and it's like no water, man. And it's like, and they threw him in the pit. And, they, and then they had lunch. And they're like, you know, you know, you're talking about some lame big brothers here. Throw him in a pit. And they're talking about maybe even killing him. Reuben steps says, no way. And then you have this caravan making their way down to Egypt. They sell him off to a caravan to Egypt, and Potiphar ends up purchasing him, a strong leader there in, in Egypt, and Joseph ends up becoming a great assistant in his home, but he's falsely accused by his wife of sexual advancements. He's thrown into a prison where it's discovered he has this incredible wisdom and perception to interpret dreams. And this led to prophecy, a prophecy that Egypt would experience seven years of prosperity and then seven years of famine. And uh, the Pharaoh is grappling with these dreams and, and, he, and Joseph interprets them. And that was the interpretation that, hey, we're going to have years of prosperity. Great, take advantage of it. Then we're going to have years of famine, okay? So what you need to do is you need to like harvest as much as you possibly can and store up uh, to, for the years of famine. And Pharaoh ends up picking uh, Joseph to really be the prince of Egypt. He positions him second in command. And as the story goes, his brothers end up coming down to Egypt amidst this terrible famine for which literally it's threatening their lives and there's their brother the rejected one the betrayed one becomes the savior it's like a type of jesus no doubt about it can i hear an amen to that oh yeah it's like jesus came into his own his own received him not the betrayed one became the savior of israel and became the savior of the world I mean, it's like incredible picture but i want you to look at this verse up here on the screen 
It's like, if we ask the question, well, like, God worked it out for the good, right? And, and what, is, what good are we talking about? Is it this good? I mean, that, that Joseph was set over all the land of Egypt. I mean, that is a good, but is that the good that God is working out? That Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand? Is, is that the good? I mean, that he clothed him in garments of fine linen, gold chain around his neck. Is, is that the good? You're thinking, oh man, a gold chain around my neck. That is really good. It's like, well, I mean, is really that the good that was, is promised that God will work out some material blessing? And then second in command, killer chariot. And as he's driving around, everybody's bowing to him. It's is like, you know, all things work together for the good. To those who love God are called according to his purpose. What good are we talking about? I mean, you know, gold is, is good, but is it the highest good that God is working out in our life? Does is it, is it have to do with his purposes in our life? You know, the Bible says, be very careful about anyone who would propose the idea that godliness is a means to material gain. I mean, on one hand, we might think, oh my goodness, Joseph, he was rejected. It's like, you know, he's betrayed by his brothers. It doesn't get worse than that. And then it's like, God worked it out for the good, man. Killer position, okay, that's awesome, that's good, but is the good that is really good that he was in a position that he would be able to protect and preserve Israel, having to do with God's unfolding plan for which ultimately the Messiah is going to be born and impact the entire world? Kind of a big amen to that, right? I mean, it's like, well, which one is it? Was it his like, new threads? By the way, I have actually seen 3,000-year-old artifacts and um, oh, just, just uh, man, oh, I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, bows and arrows and all kinds of things. I, I wonder if even I saw a chariot, uh, an Egyptian chariot. The craftsmanship is just off the charts. So, I mean, you just got to understand. I mean, Joseph and his, his clothing is, is killer, right? I mean, that's great. In fact, I saw jewelry as well. I just cannot believe the craftsmanship that they had back 3,000 years ago. And so we just want to pursue. It's like, you know, you look at Joseph. He embodies all things work together for the good to those who love God, are called according to his purpose. I just want to tell you that... That's happening in your life as well. In fact, if you look at Joseph, you're going to so much see your life, what God actually is doing. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 37, you guys, and let's just unpack this a bit. Genesis 37. Let's talk about now his life. Genesis 37 verse 1 reads the following. Genesis chapter 37 verse 1. Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan or the land of Israel. And it says in verse 2, this is the history of, what's the next word, you guys, of Jacob. Or, or it could be said, this is the history of Israel. Because then when you think of Israel, I want to just put this next uh, slide up on the screen. I mean, just want to encapsulate, when you think of Israel, you need to think of a person, Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. You need to think of a people, the children of Israel. You need to think of a place, the land of Israel, because it's all of those things. And you need to think of a plan 
from eternity past to eternity future that is in and through Israel, specifically the Messiah or the Christ of Israel. So when it says here in verse 2, uh, this is the history of Jacob. I mean, that simple sentence is so compact, so weighty. It's awesome. Really, this is the, this is the story of God's unfolding plan. Yeah, and it's like has so much to do actually with Joseph. Because as I already mentioned, like if there's no Joseph in the story of Israel, this Savior who has this prominent position that ends up actually forgiving his brothers and at least preserving Israel amidst adversity. If there's no Joseph, there's no Israel. I mean, Israel, like, Israel, you know, um, dies in a famine. So it says here Joseph being 17 years of age, that's when we were introduced to him. I met some 17-year-olds earlier in the service. And uh, so here, this guy, 17, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to the father. Now, just notice that term, uh, wives there, and, and notice it's, it's plural, right? It's not a good idea to have multiple wives at the same time, okay? It's like, okay, this is never God's plan, actually. So you have Jacob who has multiple wives, cause a lot of conflict in the family, and it says now, verse 3, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children. That's not good either, actually, to show favoritism. Can I hear an amen to that? right? I mean, it just isn't. And that's important because it just creates incredible tension because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a tonic of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. And Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please, hear this dream, which I dream. There we were binding sheaves in the field, and then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. Indeed, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. There's a lot going on here. First of all, this tunic this coat of many colors of Joseph. I, I know many of you have heard of that reference. How many have heard of that reference? You know, Joseph's coat of many colors. Look, I mean, think of like a tuxedo in a way. So you have all of his brothers that are working the fields, and then one brother walks out, and he's not wearing the garment of a worker. He comes out in this, like, stinking tuxedo. And it's like, wait a second. I mean, it's like, we're sweating out here, you know. We just, yeah, you know, we have our shorts on, a T-shirt or something. You walk out in a tuxedo. By the way, where did you get that? Well, Dad gave it to me. It's like, ah, oh, we don't like that. And you're a dreamer. And you're dreaming like in some way you play a prominent role in our life. And, and he, and he and, and eventually does, of course, and in a great way because he becomes actually the Savior of Israel. He's a type of Jesus Christ. Christ. But let me just say this. Please hear me. You know, every one of us in Christ have also been robed. Do you know that? Like we have a special, the robes of Christ, the white robes of righteousness. And the Bible says even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault 
in his eyes. And the scriptures say, whom he foreknew, he predestined, which means he had a plan in place that we would be in Christ. That there was a time that we were called and we responded to it, had a legit choice. We were justified, declared righteous. Can I hear an amen to that? And look, and we are already glorified. It's like, so I just want to see this parallel. This is very important. It's like Joseph was clothed with a beautiful robe. We have been robed positionally in Christ. It's like we are pre-done, pre-cooked, already glorified. So it's like, so the Lord in our life from eternity past had us in his heart, had a plan in Christ. We responded to it. Our future is secure. The challenges in life is what happens from the beginning to the end. It's like we're in the, the mid part is what can get like really funky. It's like we're clothed, we're secure. In, in this way, like Joseph, positionally secure, and we've been purposed for God's purposes in life, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Well, look, we, for time's sake, we need to move forward here. But, I mean, of course... Many of you know the story. I mean, Joseph's brothers can't stand him. And, and, and just, just jump down to verse 17. They're, they're going to do something that is just the worst of worst. It's not failing him. They betray him. And a betrayal is exploiting a confidence for personal gain, right, in some way, shape, or form. So they exploit a confidence. They exploit a relationship. They betray their brother. Verse 17, and the man said, they've departed from here. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him from afar, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming, come, therefore, let us now kill him, cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him, we shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, the oldest, and he delivered him out of their hands, he said, let us not kill him. Reuben said to him, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, this cistern, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to their father. And so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him, and they took him, cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat a, what's the next word, you guys? Eat a meal. Oh, my goodness gracious, right? As they're actually... Later on, it gives us further details. Their brother's in this cistern, in this pit, and he's just, of course, crying and weeping, and they're out here having lunch, you know? And it says, they lifted their eyes and looked, and there's a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices and balm and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brothers listened. And the Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to, can someone tell me, Egypt, right? So now from Israel, you have Joseph transitioned down to Egypt, 
And look, for those of you who are new to the Bible, if you ever wonder, like, why did the children of Israel come out of Egypt, like spearheaded by Moses? Because years after this, you have Israel uh, flourishing in Egypt. God delivers them out of the tyranny. That's the story of the great Exodus. But look, this is nothing but unadulterated betrayal at its worst. As I mentioned, we all fail each other, but betrayal is actually an intentional wounding. So it's like basically saying, you know, um, I'm going to befriend you, but my agenda is to use you. That's a, that's a betrayal. Or I'm going to tell you that I love you, but I don't really love you. I just want something from you. I'm going to exploit you. That's a, that's a betrayal. So if we just pause here for a second, if we ask, well, like, where is the Lord in this? I mean, this is hard. And some of you are going through, I know, through a difficult time. And it's like, I've already said, look, in Christ we're clothed. We're like Joseph. Now, his, his, his robe was, was torn off. But we're going to see in just a little bit. He never forgot, ever, clearly, the purposes of God in his life. That God had purposed him. That God had a plan for him. And that's why he persevered through all of this. But if we just stop circumstantially and ask, like, my goodness gracious, man. I mean, where is God in all of this? This is just so terrible, Right? And, well, he's there. You know, it's interesting that Joseph was betrayed in a place called Dothan. Years later, Elijah and his servant will be surrounded by this, these, the Syrians. And the servant will be freaked out as they're going to they're lose their life as the Syrians are surrounding them and approaching them. And they're, they're Elijah's enemy. And you have Elijah who, who, who prays and asks that the Lord would open his servant's eyes to what reality is, and the Lord did. And the servant saw, whoa, we are surrounded by an angelic host, and we're surrounded by chariots of fire, right? And the Lord delivered Elijah. He delivered him. Now, in this case, was there a swift delivery? I mean, was there a swift rescue from these terrible circumstances? No. But the Lord is actually moving Joseph closer to the fulfilling of the dreams, the prophetic dreams of God using him positionally in Egypt that ultimately would be a rescue to bring Israel uh, out of the most terrible circumstances that they had experienced up to that point. And the point is this, and I just want to put it up on the screen. You guys, whether God works in our life for the good in a moment, in other words, whether he brings delivery in a moment or he works through a process, hey, he will work it out. Can I hear a big amen to that? I mean, that's the first thing that we need to understand. But it does tell us in principle, hey, we're all going to experience adversity. We know that. Some of you are going through physical challenges. I, I know. It breaks my heart. Others of you may be disillusioned, some expectation not met. Maybe there's been a divorce or a confidence broken or slander. Here's what we see about Joseph. Well, Joseph was actually pulled out of the pit. He was pulled out of the pit, sold into slavery. He didn't remain in the pit. You know, there's that phrase like, oh, man, they're, they're throwing a pity party, right? In the pit, they're throwing a pity party. He didn't remain there. And this is obvious. It's like, and it's possible, though, that in adversity and trials and injustices that take place in our life, that we can develop a victim's mentality because 
of the injury. I'm just rehearsing it. I'm rehearsing what took place in the bed over and over and over again. And it's keeping me from moving forward. And that's not God's will for us. Can I hear a big amen to that? I mean, say he wants us to move on. Why? Listen, as believers, you've been robed. I mean, you've been called, you've been justified, you've been glorified, and you are purposed. There's a purpose to our life. It's critical we let it go. We let the past go. In fact, Joseph is eventually going to be married in Egypt, and he's going to name, he's going to have two sons, and he's going to name both of them Hebrew names. And one of them is Manasseh, which basically, I'm going to just loosely paraphrase, like, forget about it. Just forget it. Then Ephraim means fruitful. So Manasseh means forget it, move on. And Joseph did. I mean, Joseph's like this idea that there's a God and he believed that and there's a divine purpose in his life and in Israel's life that would ultimately impact the world. Listen, it was in great, it was it was in his bones. It was so deep. It was in his bones. Let me give you an example of this. If you look up on the screen here, um, this is Paul. I mean, similarly, like, like, just he got it. All things work together for the good. And what it looked like in his life is, hey, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. It's like I know there's a purpose to my life. By the way, what is this purpose? We're going to talk about it. Uh, and, but, but there's a purpose, and it's like, I, I just have to keep moving on. So i got to forget those things which are behind and reach forward to those things which are ahead, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Like, move on, move on, lay hold of why God has laid hold of us. And evidence shows that Joseph had this strong conviction that God had called him to his divine purposes, and we see this all throughout his life. You guys, jump on over to chapter 38. We're just going to, or actually 39, excuse me. We're just going to look at little snapshots, and then we're going to wrap this up. But look, now Joseph is down in Egypt. Potiphar has purchased him out of this slave block, and he's done so well in his house. Potiphar is a chief leader in Egypt. And we see here, beginning in verse 7, it came to pass, chapter 39, that after these things, that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said to him, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in his house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great, what's the next word, you guys? This great wickedness and sin against God. And so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Praise God for that, right? Can I hear an amen to that? Here, here's the thing, though. I mean, he could have. I, I want to just throw out this thing. I mean, like, I don't know for sure, but I got to tell you, um, if he was still rehearsing the adversity and the injustices is, is damnable, not cussing, as damnable as it was, this betrayal to him. 
I mean, if he was not getting past it and getting in the groove of, look, you know, you've purposed my life, man. I'm gonna, I, Jesus Christ came, you know, just, and for, to forgive and redeem and, and to heal. It's like, and there's a purpose and he's working all things out for the good. And, and I believe in this divine plan. If he, if he didn't get past his past, here's what I personally think. He would have stepped into this temptation because hurting people hurt people. It's just like, you know what, I, and actually, you know, I've been betrayed, I'm going to be past it, so what I'm going to do is, you know, hey, I've been betrayed, so I think I'm going to betray my boss, too. But instead, he didn't, and it speaks to the fact, no doubt, he had gotten past it, and he was moving forward because he knew God had a call upon his life, and for time's sake, even in prison, it's, it's like, you know, he's falsely accused, and as we know the story here, um, you, you know, he, he, he resists the temptation, and then Potiphar's wife accuses him of, of a, a sexual advance, and then Potiphar throws him into prison. And while he's in prison, uh, through various circumstances and dynamics, he gets this reputation for wisdom and judgment and discernment and for interpreting dreams. And he catches the Pharaoh's attention, who, as I mentioned earlier, is really grappling with these disturbing dreams. They call upon Joseph, and he, and he interprets it. Hey, listen, this is what you're dealing with. You're going to have seven really good years of prosperity. You need to take advantage of it. Then there's going to be a famine, and it's going to be really, really bad. So what you just need to do, you need to prepare for the famine, Pharaoh made Joseph second in command. And, and once chosen by Pharaoh uh, and given, uh, he was given an Egyptian wife. And Joseph, as I mentioned, had these beautiful sons, but he never forgot his calling. He ends up calling his sons by Hebrew names, as I mentioned. Let me ask you a question. Like, if I ask you what's happening in your life at this time, like, seriously, what's the context of your life? Is it a little crazy? You know, is there a relational conflict? Has there been a job loss? I mean, look, I mean, culturally, things are so weird, right? I read some news reports, even with their governor. I don't want to get off on this, but I'm like, man, I just feel like what Dorothy said to Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> so irksome, right? So, and so I just don't like, so here's the thing, like, and sometimes when expectations are not met, and you certainly had this with Joseph, and he had to deal with disillusionment, I mean, maybe you're even tempted to think, man, is, you know, is God competent? I mean, I see breakdown in our nation. I see breakdown. I see evil prevailing. It's just, this isn't a form of insanity. I mean, can, I mean, can we trust God? Is God competent? I mean, looking through, this, just bear everything, looking through the lens of Joseph, his life actually embodies that God works all things for the good to those who love God. Not all things are good, but he works all things for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you look through a lens of Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 31, and through the life of Joseph, then looking at your circumstances, they may be really challenging. It just may not be what you think it is. 
I mean, it's just like, I know it's a challenge. Again, it's like the Lord secured our beginning. He secured our past. We are robed. The challenge is the middle part of our lives. That's the challenge. You know, I love this story about a dad who madly loved his son, apple of his eye. And as his son grew, his dad would challenge him with new experiences to build his confidence and perseverance because his son actually was blind. And so one summer he said, son, I'm going to give you a task. And I, I know you can do it, but it's like I want you to change the shutters on the windows and things. And his son was so upset. I mean, that's just way too much, dad. You know, I said, yeah, I'm going to require you to do it. Well, his son, his son was successful and stuff, but oh man, he was so embittered with his dad because it was man, a particular challenge. And, and as the story goes, his dad a few weeks later, as his son is still holding on to this bitterness, unexpectedly passed away. And of course, his son is just reeling on so many levels. But one is, he felt like he was never able to kind of make up with his dad because he was holding that bitterness. And he ended up saying to his mom, I just don't know why dad had me to do that alone, he said. I was just so mad at him. And his mother answered, what you didn't know, son, was that your father was never further than just a few feet away from you. He was there all along. I mean, you know, in other words, he had you go through that unique test and challenge. You were successful, but he was right there. And in a similar way, you look at Joseph's life, it's like the Lord was always with them, and the Lord is always with us. Can I hear a big amen to that? And it's like if we speed up the story, and we are really speeding it up. Have you noticed that? If you go to Genesis chapter 45, it's like, man, the Father's there, and he's working it out. And what you see here, just jumping to chapter 45, is that in the midst of this terrible famine, Right? You have now Joseph's brother coming down to Egypt. Joseph is in a prominent place, and we're skipping a lot of details here, just getting the main points. But look at chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph, now he's, he has his brothers in front of him, could not restrain himself. They didn't know it was his brother at the time. All those who stood by him, and he cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to the brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him. They, they, they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Can I hear a big amen to that? I love it. I love it. Hey, it speaks in principle, that adversity and hardship and craziness is like God has us here for a purpose, to make a difference, to preserve life, to impact a generation, even future generations. I mean, this is his life. For, they, for these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not that you who sent me here, but God. And he made me a father 
to Pharaoh. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me the Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Oh, I just love this so much. You guys, you guys. So it's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Pause here. For, okay. Um, all things work together for the good to those who love God are called according to his purpose. So it's like, what is the Lord actually doing in our life? He's doing what he did in Joseph's life. And that is, he's making us more like Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, is if there's not forgiveness from Joseph, uh, Israel, I mean, is done. It's cooked. I mean, if, if, he, if, he, if he's not a preserving influence to his brothers, they're cooked. And so what he's doing in our life is he's making us more like Jesus Christ. And we talk about it all the time, but so worth doubling down. Think, think, about, think about your family. Just think about what's happening. And think about culture. And think about, you know, San Marcos. And think about the church family. The Lord has robed all of us. And his purposes is that he is transforming us to be more like Jesus. That is the highest good. That's the highest good. And as we turn to Genesis chapter 50, let's just pick it up here in verse 18. Genesis chapter 50, verse 18. It says, Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Look at verse 19. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And now therefore, do not be afraid. For I will provide for you, your little ones, and he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt and his father's house. And Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. Children of Makar, uh, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but... God will surely visit you. This is a reference to the Exodus, to Moses, to the deliverance, and bring you out of this land. Can I hear an amen to that? I love that, right? And to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Okay, and Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. You guys, if we ask the question, I'm almost done, but I just want to drive a few points home and I, I just want us to pray about it, actually a few of these. But if we say, okay, so, okay, what is the good that the Lord is working out? Here's point number two. It's like what the enemy intended for evil, he's going to turn around for the good. Can I hear an amen to that? It's true. I mean, someone said this, you guys. They offered this perspective. I love this. If Joseph's brothers never sell him to the Midianites, then Joseph never goes to Egypt. If Joseph never goes to Egypt, he is never sold to Potiphar. If he is never sold to Potiphar, Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape. And if Potiphar's wife never falsely accuses him of rape, 
then he's never put into prison. If he's never put into prison, he never meets the baker and the butler of Pharaoh. And if he never beats the, uh, meets the, never beats the baker, no, never meets the baker and butler of Pharaoh, he never interprets their dreams. And if he never interprets their dreams, he never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And if he never gets to interpret Pharaoh's dream, he never is made prime minister. And if he's never made prime minister, he never wisely administrates for the severe famine coming upon the region. And if he never wisely administrates for the severe famine coming upon the region, then his family back in Israel, the land of Israel, perishes from the famine. And if his family back in Canaan perishes from the famine, then the Messiah can't come forth from a dead family. And if the Messiah can't come forth, then Jesus never came. And if Jesus never came, they were all dead in our sins and trespasses, and the world is without hope. Hey, what the enemy tends for evil, God will turn it around. And point number three is that, look, we mentioned this, the Father's objective is to grow us more like Jesus, to give forgiveness, to bring truth to our generation, to never give up. We follow Jesus. It's the hope that will never disappoint. Guaranteed. And number four, moving through these points quickly. Hey, God will use, actually, yeah, God will use challenges in your life today to transform your life, actually to impact generations to come. That's a promise. In other words, talk about it all the time, but our life outlives us on planet Earth. So be encouraged. Be faithful. Never give up. And finally, point number five is God's purposes actually do continue through Israel. It's like, hey, if you want to know God's purposes, follow Joseph's bones. Because they were taken back up to the land of Israel. I love that. You know, Stephanie and I often talk about, I, in, his, in the first century and actually before that, you, you had a family tomb. You were buried and then once the body decomposed, and I, can, I didn't expect to talk about this, but actually then, you, then your bones were put in, in, a, in, a, in a smaller like box. I can't remember the box's name. It's, it's escaping. Does anyone remember? Oh, anyways, um, an ossuary. Is it an ossuary? I think it's an ossuary. So it's in a smaller box. In fact, um, yeah, in fact, I actually, I was, I actually saw Caiaphas's ossuary. So it's just a box, and you know, it has bones inside. Caiaphas, the one uh, that was part of the sentencing of Jesus to be crucified, who, who stood against Jesus. Anyways, but um, why am I mentioning this? I was just going to say, because I would love, well, forget it. I don't want to talk about it. I just, well, I would love a family tomb with all of our bones. Anyway, that's what I'm saying. Okay, sorry. Get back to the point. The point is, Joseph's bones were taken to Israel. You know, Joseph's tomb is in Israel today. It was just in the news. On the eve of Passover, of course, it was desecrated. How, how many of you remember that, right? So it's like, look, this took place. His bones up in Israel. It's like, what are you talking about? Oh, because he believed in the unfolding plan of God in and through Israel. And Jesus is coming back to planet Earth. He's coming back to Israel. He's coming back to Jerusalem. In fact, let me just say this. How do we know, seriously, We've been robed. How do we know we're secure in Christ? How do we really know, man? All things are working for the good to those who love God are called according to his purpose. Here's how we know. Because the betrayed one, Jesus, became the savior of the world. 
because the betrayed one is the one that hung, bled, gave his life, was buried, and resurrected. And it's transforming men today and will continue to do so. What was, is, and will be. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you have robed us in the white robes of righteousness in Jesus Christ. I thank you for this. I thank you for securing our life. I thank you, Lord, that right now you are active, that, Father, you are never but just a few feet away in our life, and we give you honor and glory, and we praise you for this. And, um, Lord, you've said all things work together for the good to those who love God, called according to his purpose. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. Now, we're talking now relationship. God loves you. But he loves you not enough not to leave you the way you are. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except to be through me. And I'm mentioning these things because it is not enough, my friend, just to believe in God. The Bible says even Satan believes in God so much that he trembles. I think Satan believes in God more than a lot of people believe in God because he actually has a fear of God. But Jesus said, look, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except to be through me. And, and we know this is true because he died on the cross. He paid the debt of our sin. He resurrected from the dead. He's coming again, and he wants you to be in his kingdom. Joseph knew this plan was unfolding. That's why he's like, hey, could you take my bones up to Israel? Because I, I actually believe in God's plans. And, um, and, you know, Christ wants to come into your life. And Jesus said he stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone would hear his voice and open the door, he'll come in. And when he comes in, he brings forgiveness. And when he comes in, he brings himself. When he comes in, he brings a ticket to heaven, so to speak, hope beyond the grave and a whole lot more. The greatest thing is himself, relationship. And the Bible says, in essence, hey, look, what's missing in our life, which leads to this insatiable thirst that leads to crazy behavior is, is a God-shaped hole. The problem with man is a disconnect with God. That's why Jesus came. And he says, you know, if you're thirsty, come to me and, 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 and I'll give you... I'll give you something to drink. You'll never thirst again. It's a God-shaped hole that nothing will fulfill except right relationship with God. And you say, well, Greg, you know, what do I do with all that? Recognize what he's done for you. He created you. But he also has revealed himself to you. And now, once you know the truth, seriously, you're responsible for it. You are. That's why Jesus said, you know, there's a broad way that leads to destruction. I mean, you go that way, but there's a narrow way that leads to eternal life, few be that find it. And he said, again, I am that way. And he said, unless we repent, we'll perish. Repentance kind of is a picture of a U-turn in life. I'm moving away from God. It's like, and I, what I need to do is a woe. I need to turn to him. I need to make a U-turn. He'll give you the strength to do that. And once you do that, he will forgive you. He'll take residence in your life. And then you can have assurance, man, like Joseph, all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And, 
The Bible says those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. He really is just a prayer away. In fact, if you would like to pray to receive Christ, I'd love to invite you to do that even right now. It may just sound so simple, and it is. But if you're sincere, the Lord will honor this prayer. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll take residence in your life. And this is now the beginning of the first steps to follow him. Because he wants you to follow him. He wants relationship with you. So if you'd like to receive Christ, pray this prayer with me. If you'd like to turn to Christ, repent of your sins, pray this prayer with me. If you'd like to take your first step in embracing Jesus, pray with me at this time. And church family, if you'd like to join, you can do so. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I call upon you now to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me and paying the debt of my sin. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a great Savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and fill me with the life of God. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for coming into my life. Now teach me to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for making me your child, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, I just thank you that you are at work way beyond what we could wrap our mind around. And I just want to pray, Lord, for anyone who stepped into that prayer, thank you for this new beginning. Thank you the little thing is the big thing. Thank you for the promise. Those who call upon you shall be saved. Now, Lord, once you've taken residence, may all those who prayed that prayer now go forward in relationship with you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen.